Um, all right. Well, I guess we could uh, get started. Um, but yeah, first, yeah, thank you so much for taking time to do this. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, certainly, my pleasure. Uh-huh. So, I always like to talk about myself. <laughs> um, so I guess to start off, how did uh, music find you, and uh, what guided you into the direction for uh, you know composing for picture and film? Um, I think mostly um, like progressive FM radio in the Midwest was probably my big source of entertainment as a kid. I didn't get a whole lot out of television. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think FM radio was the closest thing to fine art that a kid could get exposed to in Ohio. Um, and my obsession with music began in the late 60s and early 70s, and I listened to bands like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix. Right. And um, as I got older, my taste in music began to change, and I also became <coughs> fascinated with how computer um, technology was influencing music. And, um, and at that time, I was also becoming a movie fan. I stopped going to nightclubs and started going to movie theaters. So that's my, my interest change. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess the most significant turning point was I happened to get a lucky break and was asked to score an episode of Pee-wee's Playhouse by... Um, the then director, Stephen Johnson, who was um, was actually going to do a Chili Pepper video. And that's how we met. Right. And that was my first scoring job. I loved it. It was great fun. I had uh, I got to write <coughs> some of the weirdest music <laughs> that I've ever written. And then I got to see it on <coughs> national television. And the process was 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 great fun, and 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 the money wasn't too bad either. So after that, <laughs> I was I was kind of hooked. So I mean, and you mentioned that you know your you, you've your background started, uh, you know, with you know in the rock background, and you know with Red Hot Chili Peppers and among other bands. Um, was there a po- was there a point where you decided that it was like you know enough of that and wanted to shift over, or did you did you get tired of it, or you just thought it was time to move on to something different? Uh, yeah, the Chili Peppers was the uh, uh. was the uh, <laughs> was probably a turning point, but I mean it wasn't just that; it was it was just kind of that point in my life. I think um, I'd always aspired to be a rock star, and I got a, a little whiff of that in the Chili Peppers, as, <laughs> as well as a number of other groups. But there came a point when my musical taste changed, and playing drums in a band just wasn't enough. Right. I wanted to create my own music, and I just realized that both the music and the lifestyle of touring with a rock band wasn't for me, or at least it wasn't something I wanted to do mm-hmm. indefinitely. And um, I loved playing drums, and I loved writing music, but going out on stage... <coughs> And playing the exact same thing night after night really got to me after a few years. Yeah. And besides, I just had a hard time kind of visualizing myself at age 40, going out on the stage with nothing but a sock on my genitals with the chili peppers. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, a lot of great composers, I mean, you know, you included, among others, uh, Danny Elfman and and Hans Zimmer and James Newton they've come from, uh, you know, rock backgrounds. And do you find that today that's still the case that it's that more mainstream music can uh shape new composers for the film industry yeah i mean you just named 
you know, the guys that are some guys that are great examples of, of um, very talented film composers that have contributed a great deal to film music, and they come from rock and roll. But um, yeah, it's, I don't think that's going to change as the record industry appears to be dying a slow, miserable death. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more, you know, songwriter and band people are entering um, the film scoring business in even greater numbers. And um, yeah, it, it kind of shaped my style as a film composer too. Although I really had to do a lot of retooling to, to enter this business. All right. My basic skills as a drummer only took me so far. I, I you know, really had to learn composition and computers and, and films. So I'm not sure what the important takeaway is from rock and roll for these guys. I think they really, I think they're really two different things. But like a lot of professions, you have to evolve or die, and uh, right. and uh, that's that's the case with trying to, you know, make it from that that part of the of music to to film music and uh did did you play any other instruments besides uh drums at the time i was playing drums professionally no all right um did you uh like today uh do you have any you know music that you listen to any uh, favorite composers or bands or or musicians um well growing up i aside from the ones I mentioned earlier, I also liked uh, and was influenced by um, artists like Black Sabbath and Miles Davis, Captain Beefheart, James Brown. And I think the first soundtracks that grabbed my attention were um, The Day the Earth Stood Still and A Fistful of Dollars. Mm. Nowadays, uh, I am trying to start a new habit. I try not to listen to music carelessly. Instead of listening while driving or doing the dishes, I try to sit down between a pair of speakers and give my complete attention to whatever it is I'm, I'm listening to. And I'm trying a new policy at Casa Cliff that I call hardcore, fat-free, no-nonsense listening. <laughs> so that means, like, only great music, no lightweights. Um, so lately it's been um, Debussy and Bob Marley uh, the Rolling Stones recently, who, right. who I never bought a single album of in huh. in my youth. Uh, Louis Armstrong's another one. So that's what's on the um, that's what's been on the turntable recently. All right. So I guess moving from I guess your influence and stuff, and jumping into you know, of course, everyone knows about your collaboration, you know, with Steven Soderbergh. And uh, me, I'm not a musician. I'm, you know, writer, director, and I, I'm a visualizer you know, from that aspect of filmmaking. So it's, I really want to know how important is the uh, composer-director relationship, and how does that work? Well, the relationship itself is is um, all important. I mean, without it, you find yourself standing next to the freeway entrance with a cardboard sign reading "We'll score for food." So <laughs> without that, you don't. I mean that that's who hires you usually that's I'm not really I'm I'm seldom selected by a producer or anybody else it's always the director that um yeah, right. is the person who selects you so at, you know that level the relationship is uh, crucial but creatively um 
Uh, it's, it's equally important. I'm, you know, in debt to all the directors I work with because it's generally their ideas and direction that are responsible for, for how the music turns out. It certainly has a huge influence on it. Um, the case of Steven Soderbergh is unique for me. Steven is the only director that I've done 10 films with over the past uh, 22 years. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, you know, a lot of my scores for Stephen have a bit of an edge because of that, you know, that ancient history that we share. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I can go on and on about the relationship. Right, right. Um, I think basically it's, uh, the Stephen thing is, is special. I, I don't know, you know, that many guys that had that kind of a long run with, with a single director. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you look at, you know, obviously John Williams, but I mean, like, most of the, you know, I think great composers, yourself included, they have that continuing bond with, you know, a director, and they continue through their profession, but, but I mean, it, I think it, I think your best music comes from uh, Stephen's film, so, but, um, yeah, and probably the, probably the, you know, the relationship, the longness of it, or the semi-monogamousness of it, mm-hmm. so, contributes to that, I think. It, it does seem to get better. I mean, I thought Sex, Lies, and Videotape was okay, but it was, traffic was kind of a similar idea, but was light years ahead of it. Yeah. And both of us had just gotten older and wiser. And, uh... Mostly older. <laughs> well, speaking of that, like, looking back at Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and now, you know, with Contagion, uh, what's different about your process with Stephen, and, you know, what remained the same from all the way back then? Well... In the early days, we used to spend a lot more time together. As for Sex Lives and Videotape, we were just getting acquainted. And um, today, now we practically communicate telepathically or through very brief emails or text messages. <laughs> um, I think I understand him a lot better now uh, than then, and vice versa. Um, both of us has, have grown a lot artistically, so I think. We both bring a lot of new tricks, as well as old ones, to the table. And um, what hasn't changed is Stephen is kind of the same person, in spite of all of his success and artistic development. He still pretty much feels like the same guy. Mm-hmm. He even mm-hmm. looks exactly the same as he did ten years ago, which <laughs> it's been almost that long since um, Solaris. Um. Well. So say you, I mean say if you you know you're going to be scoring a film for Steven, uh, do you get involved during the pre-production process or do you wait till he's done with everything and gives it to you? With everybody else, you're you usually get it when they're pretty close to done with everything except for the sound and the music, but mm-hmm. with Steven, I think he's been the only director to officially hire me before he starts shooting. Right. And because of that, I, uh, I used to occasionally come to the set or try to write, write some music before seeing the picture. And every time I've done that, it just seems like it was a waste, a complete waste of time. Um, I don't ever seem to get any tangible results until I've actually seen the picture. But still, I think um, reading the script in advance and having conversations with Stephen before shooting... Um, 
does give me a bit of an edge and a head start. Um, the process of composing probably actually starts somewhere long before I see the film or before I even write music with Stephen. I'm not sure you know, where it begins, but oftentimes the process of composing for me is um, laying on the couch staring at the ceiling, and I've got a lot more time to do that with Stephen's projects because of that, you know, because of I'm officially on the picture yeah, much, yeah. much earlier. Yeah. And, uh, like, I mean, have you ever come across, like, say, he's, you know, when he's decided to do Ocean's Eleven, the remake, and, you know, David was going to score that, where you're like, oh, damn, I, I kind of wish I wanted to do that. Have you ever come across that, where you wish you were doing it? Uh, yeah, just about every single film of his that I haven't scored. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought you would have done a pretty good job with Che. kind of wish you did that one. But... Moving on from uh, Soderbergh, and I guess coming to Drive with, uh, which is, I just saw it, and I thought it's one of the best films of the year, and uh, I, you know, I love the story and the visuals and the soundscape, and um, your music really worked perfectly, and I think uh, a lot of the tones and and shifts of your score uh, mimic the cinematography and kind of fed off of that in terms of you know lights and colors, and is is there is that true, or am I just kind of making stuff up out of air? Um, it, well, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I think uh, if, if the cinematography and the, the colors had, uh, you know, exerted any influence on it, it was probably kind of subliminal. I mean, I do respond to sort of the look of a film often will have an influence. I'd, oftentimes I don't think about it that much, but it does have an influence, um, usually the speed at which a scene moves will kind of have an effect on on, on um, the rhythm of the music, but it wasn't it wasn't first and foremost in my mind. Um, Nicholas um, Reffin was a you know an idea machine, and and uh, I probably was more influenced by his direction than I was by the cinematography or, or the look of the film, I guess. But yeah. I think all of that stuff kind of factors in at some level. It just that aspect of it, I was, um, you know, not all that conscious of. But I know that it kind of fit. I know that it was a kind of a very poetic sort of a film. And what worked about the music was that it complemented that. So I, I think I took in the whole package. But for the most part, my thinking was, you know, scoring the music from the standpoint of the character and. Um, you know, from all the ideas that Nicholas threw at me. Right. And another another huge aspect of the, the film, or, you know, the, the the source music and the songs that he picked out, um, did you know beforehand what songs were going to be in the film, and did you work around those songs to fit kind of the soundscape, or was that not involved in your process? Yeah, the songs had a lot of an impact. Um, I was uh, asked to join the party very late. The film was locked, meaning no more... There was no more editing to be done, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. The songs had been selected, and the songs had actually been, I think, you know, licensed and purchased, and which is also unusual. So I knew they were going to be there, but um, mostly, I I've had difficulty kind of um, mirroring the songs in the underscore. Sometimes the 
song choices are too eclectic to give a, give you a unified style to role model. Mm-hmm. The songs have such a have a, such dissimilar functions that I often don't take the songs into account all that much when writing the score. With Drive, though, the um, songs seem to be making such an important style statement that I felt I had to acknowledge them somehow. And I, I think it was a little easier in the case of Drive because the um, 80s synth pop thing was so sharply defined. Right, um, yeah. The only black sheep in the score really is um, Oh My Love, after seeing the film like a hundred times now, even that seems to fit in perfectly with all the retro synth sounds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, and speaking of, I mean, there's a lot of scenes and sequences where sound and the music and just songs kind of, you know, take front and center, but there's also, silence plays a huge role in the film as well. And uh, when the when the film was spotted, did you... Were there, were there sections of you know the film that said you know we don't want music here or did you have to kind of build up to these moments of or pockets of silence and you know how how hard is it to lead up to silence to create the tension and then back away and then come back in later? Well, I think that kind of setup um, where the music is like the prelude or the aftermath mm-hmm. um, was a kind of a popular device in Drive and. Um, I think, if anything, those types of things, that type of scoring might be a little bit easier because uh, the purpose of the music is much clearer. Um, you know, where you're going and what you're trying to set up and what you're trying to do. Okay, yeah. I think the most difficult question to answer about film scoring is why is there music here? And if you don't know the answer, then writing the music is going to be a lot more difficult or maybe there shouldn't be any music there at all in the first place. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I kind of I kind of got those scenes, and that um, you know, I credit Nicholas with um, you know the spotting of the film, the structure, where music started, where music stopped. Mm-hmm. Well, it was I mean it was one hell of a tense film. So <laughs> kudos to the both of you. Um, but I guess you know, tr- starting to wrap things up, uh, looking back. At a general sense, uh, what was the hardest score that you've had to write so far? That was, you know, kind of the most challenging experience for you. Um, <clears throat> Kafka, probably. Mm. That was um, mm. partially because it was my second film, and I, you know, still didn't really know what I was doing. And um, I had this idea about the score being dominated by the symbol I am, which is like a big hammer dulcimer <clears throat> and I decided rather than to hire a cymbal player which would have been the easy way I created a sample cymbal and decided to play it uh, using drumsticks and you know learning how to play the cymbal basically so I burned a whole lot of calories in the uh, creation of that score I really did you know did that the hard way um I think one of the easiest might actually be Drive. I was hired about four and a half weeks before the film was sent to the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. And I'm usually accustomed to having you know more time than that. So in one sense it was hard because I had to cram a lot of work into a shorter uh, time, time frame. But it was easy, in a sense, because the film was really good. The director was great, and I was having fun most of the time. 
but what probably actually made it easy was that there was hardly any time for doubts or second thoughts. Everything was like first take. Mm-hmm. I always had to go with my first impulse. And, uh, you know, Nicholas was very attentive and hands-on, but he was also pretty forgiving because we had a, you know, a deadline to meet. Um, and I can say for a fact that there have been many, many times when my first impulse is a disaster. <laughs> but fortunately for Drive, everything just seemed to click. Uh, yeah, it definitely did. Um, so it was Drive 100% uh, electronic, or was there any any instruments in there whatsoever? Oh yeah, there's um gosh, there's um Bache Crystal mm-hmm. is a acoustic instrument. Um there was a Saz, which is a uh, a Turkish stringed folk folk instrument. Oh, okay. Um sitar is in there. Uh electric guitar. Uh all the keyboards and the pianos and things are um fake, but um yeah, I guess those are the real things. And you might not recognize, well, you, most people wouldn't know what a bache crystal is anyhow, but the stringed instruments, except for the guitar, were often, the saz and the sitar were used kind of for sound design purposes, for atmospheric pads and textures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some, uh, you know, quote-unquote uh, human beings playing instruments in there somewhere. <laughs> well, I mean, it all worked. I mean, it was the whole soundscape. It just felt very fluid and uh i think it i mean it was well i loved it a lot so <laughs> but uh so i guess when you're sitting down to you know start to write something or whether you're looking when you're looking at the film for the first time are you drawing mostly from the characters you know the plot you know where where's your the biggest inspiration for ideas coming from well the characters the plot and the um you know the photography the look of the film right setting, the environment, all those things kind of play a role, but um, usually not all of those things in equal amounts. I have a strong preference um, for creating the music from this perspective of being inside the character's head. Um, That's usually where I look first. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe it's the type of films that I've worked on, or maybe it's the director's own preference, but that's kind of where I start from, and then I try to take into account the other things. Often the environment is a big thing, like um, traffic. I always thought that the way Mexico looked was very romantic and and dirty. Mm-hmm. It was like the dirty place you really want to go visit for your vacation. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes that has an impact, and um, um, but I guess for me, character first. That's uh, probably has you know the, the strongest influence. Mm-hmm. And I guess to wrap things up, you know, I always like to ask composers this question: If you had the opportunity to score any film in the history of cinema, you know, with no disrespect to the original composer, uh, what film would you choose? I think I would take any classic film from the late twenties or early thirties, like King Kong would have been a, a good one. Mm, yeah, would love to be able to go back in time. Um, to be there during the birth of film sound. Right, right, yeah. All the technology, the synthesizers and the plug-ins, the knowledge and experience that I have now, and just mow down the competition. <laughs> well, that's a good good answer. I like that one. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much for uh, doing this. I'm uh, out of questions for you, but uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time for this, though, Cliff. Thank you so much. 